Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? So I'm not going to bother to ask you if you've got any difficult people in your life. Just sit real still. Uh, don't look at them. Don't throw any elbows. But, you know, we all do. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. A- anybody here ever been criticized? Anybody? Anybody? If you've, if you've never been criticized, you ain't never done nothing. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Before we get into message time this morning, though, I want to give you a couple of quick praise reports. We're celebrating baptisms this morning. Obviously, there were two in this service. Understand there's eight in the second service. Praise God. And, uh, and of course, for those of you who don't know, we're one church with four locations. All four locations are doing baptisms this morning. And the last report I got is somewhere between 20 and 25 people are being baptized at the bridge today. God is at work among us. We're celebrating. And i got to say something because many of you are wondering, last week was offering fit for a king, and I'm not going to give you a number. I'm sorry I'm not. I'm not because uh, the digital money's still coming in. We don't have final tallies. But I will say this. For those of you that were here last week, you know this. If you missed it, um, you're a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> I have never seen so much joy at the chance to give in my life. I mean, the Spirit of God was in this house while we're giving. It's just, it's just God, what is wrong with you people? Or maybe what is right, because God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver is the Greek word there. And so thank you so much. We will bring you a number by next week, but they're all still tallying. I can tell you we're going to break all the records this year. And, and for me, I've said it before I said it, I'll, I'll say it again. It's really not about the dollar amount, though all of that money will be used to bless people. Uh, and bless the world with the name of Jesus Christ. It's really about the health of this house and the unity of this house and what God is doing in this house. And so I'm thrilled uh, to be along the ride with you. So let's get into it today. Criticism is a reality of life. Uh, Some of you perhaps remember the Abraham Lincoln famous quote, you can please some of the people some of the time and all of the people some of the time, some of the people all of the time, but you can never please all of the people all the time. You remember that one? So the fact that criticism is a part of life, the only real question is how do you handle it? What what do you do when it comes? Because it does come. For those of you that are new, we're kicking off a new series today. We're calling Difficult People. And over the next three or four weeks, four weeks total, (laughs) we're going to be looking at some of the the people that we deal with. I call them heavenly sandpaper. They're the people that kind of rub the rough edges off of us and smooth things out for us, though it can be painful at times. We're going to be looking at codependent people. We're going to be looking at manipulative people. We're going to be looking at fake people and God's way for dealing with them. But again, today, we're going to be looking at biblical, practical, biblical model for how to deal with the, with the hypercritical people that we all encounter in life. Before we get into the details of it, let me just be real clear right up front. There are really only two approaches to difficult people. There's only two approaches. There is the, the fleshly way <clears throat> the way that comes naturally to us, the, the way that is, uh, that's based in how we're feeling at the time. Anybody want to know who the author of that one is? It's the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy relationships and everything else. Or there is the one that's based in truth, the godly way, the one that's based in Scripture that doesn't always feel uh, natural, but in fact it is true. And that, anybody want to guess who the author of that one is? It's the author of life. It's God himself. 
And so what we want to do is understand that while the fleshly way, the feelings way may come naturally to you, there's another way that can come supernaturally to you through the person of Jesus Christ, and we want to choose the godly way. We want to choose the best way. Here's how Paul put it to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, verses 22 through 4. I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases it, so let's read it together, okay? One, two, three, go. Here we go. Throw off your old evil nature, the old you that was a partner in your evil ways, rotten through and through, full of lust and shame, sham. Now your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Yes, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. Clothe yourselves with this new nature. What's Paul saying? Very clearly he's saying stop choosing the fleshly way, the one that comes naturally based on how you feel, and start choosing what he calls the holy and good way, the God way, that ultimately leads to life and healing of relationships. So today, I want to compare the two as it relates to, to, uh, to dealing with hypercritical people in your life. And then I want to challenge all of us to consider what Paul has challenged us to do, which is to put off our old self and put on our new self, put off the fleshly way and put on the godly way, again, not only for, for our own health, but for the the best chance we have to help the people in our lives. So let's look at it. What does the old self look like when it comes to critical people? Ask anybody in the psychology field, and they will tell you that there are two options available to us in, in natural terms, and that is, anybody know what they are? They're, it's fight or flight, right? That's what we do is fight or flight. Flight, of course, is the avoidance approach to it. Uh, and, and the sad reality is for a lot of people, they think Abraham Lincoln was an idiot optimist. <laughs> there's no point at which I can please anybody is kind of their attitude toward life and maybe even their experience in life. They went from an unpleasable parent to an unpleasable spouse. And so after a while, they start saying, man, you can't ever experience anybody in quite uh, health with anybody. And quite frankly, many people who are followers of Christ, that's their church experience too. Can't tell you the number of people that have said to me over the years, pastor, I quit going to church. So, man, I just got tired of getting beat up. You know, I'd leave church going, well, I'm going to hell anyway. What difference does it make? <laughs> it's just this kind of guilt-based, shame-based kind of approach to, to faith that, that just after a while, they, we just kind of shut down. We put up walls. We, we want to protect ourselves. And if we ever do decide to take a risk and let somebody in, we're so guarded about it because we're waiting for something, waiting for the penny to drop. We're waiting for something to happen that we hold people at arm's length uh, and never let them in because we're just scared. There's this flight thing that makes it difficult to have relationship. And then, of course, on the other side of the equation is the, the fight thing where somebody starts criticizing you and, and your blood pressure starts to rise and your heart starts to beat and, you know, and the energy starts to come up and you can feel the blood pressure coming up in your face and your defenses start to arrive and everything in you screams, counterattack. That was a nervous laughter across the room. <laughs> By the way, we have tasers uh, available in the bookstore for that. Uh, they're $1,000, but the money goes to missions, so you just stop by. For you watching online, we do not have tasers in the bookstore, okay? That's, that was a joke, okay? That was just a joke. I can see social media blowing up now. I knew it. The bridge sells tasers to people. How many of you know that fight nor flight is God's way? And I got a few whispers of amen. Fight nor flight are God's way. There's another way. 
because neither one of them lead to health, neither one of them lead to life, neither one of them lead to reconciliation, neither one of them lead to healthy relationships. So let me give you quickly, uh, as quickly as I can, three simple principles, uh, guiding principles from the Scripture to help you deal with critics, the hypercritical people that we all have to encounter um, uh, God's way. Okay, three simple principles, let's just get right into it. First of all, you always listen to criticism. Say it with me. You always listen to criticism. One more time, you always listen to criticism. Let's personalize it. I always listen to criticism. I always listen. I know the problem right off the bat, listening does not come naturally. Hello? Hello? That's not, that doesn't come naturally. Right off the bat, it's like, listen, are you kidding me? Shut up. Zip it. Be quiet. Are you kidding me? Listen. You know, the, the natural reaction to criticism is more like, well, boy, this is a pot calling the kettle black. Talk to the hand, girlfriend. I mean, it's just a, you know. We all have our defenses that we use to push people away, to avoid listening. That's all we're doing is trying to avoid listening to what's being said. The Bible says that wise people lower their defenses. Proverbs 15, 31, 32, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. So if growth and understanding are your goal in life, you take the time to listen, whatever the source, whatever the information, you stop and listen. So in fact, let me be as direct about this as I can before we move on, uh, the, 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 without that, without that spirit, without that listening spirit, you likely never reach your potential. You'll never reach your potential. Because quite often that's the only times that we're challenged enough to stop and think about who we are, where we are, what we're going to do, what we should do, shouldn't do. It's those harsh moments that cause us to say, whoa, wait, stop. I need to think through this. I mean, if every conversation is fun and easy, then no, we're never challenged. So the next time somebody criticizes you and you're tempted to say, who do you think you are? Answer your own question. What difference does it make who they are? The only question is, is it true? And if it's true, what am I going to do about it? If it's true, what am I going to do about this truth that I've, that's been brought to me, whatever their motive for bringing it? That's why James said in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, my dear brothers and sisters, what's the word? Always. What does always mean? It means always. Every time. Always be willing to listen and slow to Speak, do not become angry easily because anger will not help you live the right kind of life God wants. You allow yourself to get angry and either fight or flight, then you're never going to get to that abundant life that Jesus promised for all of us who follow him. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't, you know, I've got to say this quick before we move on. I'm not suggesting that every criticism brought to you is valid. Somebody say Amen. I'm not suggesting that for a minute. I'm not saying that you should receive all criticism and let it get in and start to find you. I'm just saying that you can't process it to whether it's true unless you stop and listen, unless you hear them out, 
unless you develop a willingness to actually hear. And when you do, here's, here's a big one. When you do listen, don't just listen to the words. Listen between the lines to the heart. Because quite often when somebody comes to you with a critical thing, if they have any health in them at all, that they're going to be anxious about talking to you anyway, and they're probably not going to say it particularly well. And if you demand that they say it exactly the way they should have said it, then you're going to miss out on what it is God's trying to do in your life. So listen not just to the words, but listen to the heart as they communicate. That's, here's how Paul prayed for us, Philippians 1.10. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Now you apply that verse to criticism to dealing with a critic, and, and I'm saying while you're listening, while you're lowering your defenses enough to let these ideas get into your mind, you're praying. Praying silently. I'm not suggesting you start praying out loud while they're talking, but, you know, silently you're saying, Lord, help me love this person because I don't feel very loving right now. Help me understand what he's trying to say, what she's trying to say. Lord, help me to discern the spirit behind the intent, behind the words that are being said. Lord, let this criticism be a part of helping me grow as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying, or trying to say is, is that um, you approach criticism knowing that quite often what's being said has more to do with the speaker than it does with you. Has more to do with what's going on in their lives than it has to do with what's going on in yours. In fact, here's a quote that I've used many times over the years. We'll put it up on the screen. Here we go. Pray, say it with me. Praise often reveals what we value. Criticism often reveals where we are insecure. Is that true? If somebody comes up to me and, uh, you know, I got my pickup out here in the back lot and we're walking out of church and they see my truck and they go, man, that's a nice truck. I like that truck. What model truck is that? Yeah, what, what kind of engine you got in the thing? What, what kind of features that thing got? You know, boy, a truck like that? Boy, that's a nice truck. Uh, you know, what, what's he telling me? He's telling me he likes cars. He's telling me he likes trucks. He's telling me that he values vehicles by the praise that he's given. Well, the same thing is true with criticism. Quite often is the thing that somebody's being critical about is often something they're feeling insecure about. I'm old enough to remember, some of you are as well, when Jimmy Swaggart had his big failure many years ago in the 80s, uh, but his ministry became this whole thing railing against pornography and prostitution, and then suddenly it came to light that that's exactly what he was engaged in. So his criticism was an evidence of an insecurity of being found out. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't misquote me. Don't go say Jim said he didn't say. I'm not saying every time somebody criticizes you, they're guilty of that. That's not what I said. But I am saying you've got to listen with both your ears and your heart and ask God to give you discernment as a means of processing the criticism, as a means of processing this thing, God's way. And let me just say quickly and we'll move on. Uh, learning to do that, getting good at that, uh, uh, that ability often comes with maturity. Is that true? It doesn't automatically come, but it does require maturity. I mean, ever tried to, to warn a teenager? 
They immediately bristle. They immediately go, what is there? You know, just whatever they say nowadays, you know. You creaky boy, I don't know what you're talking about. What? They don't know. They don't care. They don't want to hear it. But as you mature, the ability to discern grows too. So when a mature Christian faces criticism, before he or she decides how to process that criticism, he determines I'm at least going to listen to both the words and the spirit behind the words, praying for discernment as I do. Does that make sense? Often we cut off what God's trying to do simply because of fight or flight. We didn't stop to listen. From there then, you have two options. You have two courses of action. You're at a crossroads now as you listen and you're praying for discernment to understand you now have two options. Option number one is discern and, and, and respond. Option two is discern and release, release. So let's unpack those. You can either discern and respond or you can discern and release. Let's unpack those two and you figure out how you're going to handle these circumstances in your own life. When you've listened to the criticism, both the words and the spirit, You've prayed for discernment. Part of what you're praying to discern is, should I respond? Should I say anything at all? And if so, how should I respond? So let me give you a couple of indicators, a couple of keys. If you're taking notes, you want to write these down, or you can get these very notes that I'm using. Just email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll send you these very notes for you to study later. You can go to the Bridge NC app. Those notes are there as well. But there are two things that will help you to decide whether to respond uh, to this criticism as it comes. Number one, when information will clarify the situation. When you realize while the critic is talking, you know, there's a piece of information here this person doesn't have. And if I provide that piece of information, they'll have more understanding, and that'll help to clarify this thing. And so if your thought is, you know, with a little more information to clarify, we, we can resolve this thing and, and both and actually get closer together. The other piece of it, though, this is an and, not an or, is when the critic is open to change when the critic is actually open to change. So while I'm listening, I'm also praying for discernment. I'm praying, Lord, is there some info that they don't have? And, and would it help the situation if they learn what that info is? Uh, and I'm trying to pray, Lord, is that the approach to this? And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I get that right, sometimes I get it wrong. But that's the first thing I'm doing while I'm listening, and I'm challenging you to do the same thing. Gideon faced that kind of situation uh, in Judges chapter 8. Uh, when the, the Midianites had been attacking them and, and then God called Gideon out to be the, the champion. And, and some of you know that story. Gideon's first response was, who, me? I, I'm hiding in the bottom of a wine press and you're calling me the, the, the national champion, the warrior? Are you kidding me? I'm not a mighty man of God. I'm, I'm a hider. I'm, I'm scared. And he said, yeah, but that's the kind of people I can use if you let me. And so Gideon comes out and he, and he gathers the, the, the nation of Israel together to go after the Midianite marauders who had been stealing their harvest year after year after year. And so Gideon, as a member of the, the tribe of Manasseh, led Manasseh into battle along with some of the other tribes. Afterwards, the men from the tribe of Ephraim were ticked. I mean, they weren't happy about the situation at all. So let's go to Judges chapter 8, verse 1. 
the men of Ephraim asked Gideon, why did you treat us this way? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight against Midian? They were very angry at Gideon, the Bible says. Uh, in other words, dude, what's up? Man, we were Israelites too. They were coming after us too. We wanted to be a part of this battle too. Why didn't you include us in the great battle? And so there's a criticism, and I'm sure that as a human being, everything in Gideon wanted to fight or flight. He wanted to either counterattack or run away because that's hard to hear, particularly when you're exhausted from having just fought a great battle. Verse 2, but Gideon answered them, I have not done as well as you. The small part you did was better than all that my people of Abizar did. God allowed you to capture Oreb and Zeb, the princes of Midian. How can I compare what I did with what you did? In other words, he says, dude, your part was even bigger than my part. The stuff you did was even more important to the, to the success of this battle than the stuff that I did. We didn't exclude you. You had a part and we had a part. And without your part, we wouldn't have succeeded. Everybody following what Gideon's doing? Verse 3, when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, what does it say? They just chilled right out. Oh, dude, cool. Thanks. That's awesome. And he made an ally of the tribe and the leaders of that tribe. Quite often, many times when we're approached by a critical person, the solution is as simple as hear them out, validate their concerns, and then clarify the issues. Just remember a soft answer turns away wrath classic example from my own life. Several years ago, I sent out a flyer into the community when I was pastoring in Virginia, and uh, <coughs> we were doing a marriage series, and so I sent out a flyer <coughs> that talked about them, and the leading part of the flyer was, are you getting everything out of your marriage you thought you were going to get when you stood at the altar? Well, I just got everybody's attention on that one, you know, and as I come here, Pastor Jim Wall, and this series on how the secrets of a satisfying marriage, and so we talked about some of the stresses of marriage in that flyer and the messages that we would do. The phone rang at the office within a day of sending that flyer out. It was a lady who was clearly irate. She was furious. She was so mad. Uh, she was just at the top of her lungs from the, hi, how are you? Ah, it's top of her lungs, top of her voice from the very beginning of this thing. She said, I got your flyer in the mail, and it doesn't say anything about Jesus or the Bible. What kind of church is this? And I listened to her. I did. I listened and I prayed and I discerned. And after she'd poured it all out and I let her talk for several minutes, she just kind of poured it all out and I just let her talk it out till she ran out of steam. And, and when she had unpacked her suitcase and it was now empty, I said as softly as I could, ma'am, I can tell that you love Jesus. And she said, yes, I do. <laughs> and I said, well, we do too. But the people we were trying to reach don't. They don't even know the Bible has answers. They don't even know that Jesus cares. When they get here, we're going to tell them their answers are in the Bible and that Jesus will give them a fresh start. And she went, oh, well, I'm going to pray for y'all. 
doesn't always work out that way, but I've always loved that. And I remember that, and it sticks in my mind when I find myself talking to a critic or listening to a critic and praying for discernment. Is this a situation where they simply don't have full information? And if I, prov if I provide that information gently, lovingly, can we resolve this issue very quickly and actually end up closer together as a result? So you always listen, always listen. And sometimes when you do, you discern, all this person needs is perspective. You lovingly provide it, and then you watch God work. Other times, that's not what's going on at all. And in that case, your only option is the second option, which is discern and release the criticism. Discern and release the criticism. In these cases, in these scenarios, as you pray, you begin to realize that there is no answer that's going to satisfy them. This is a don't confuse me with the facts I have made up my mind kind of situation, okay? Remember I told you we praise what we value and criticize. Uh, criticism often reveals where we're insecure. What they're saying to you has a lot more to do with their own fears and their own insecurities and their own stuff than it is with anything that you have done or failed to do. And so you realize that information is not going to help this one. Even a soft answer will not necessarily turn away wrath in this situation. So how do, you, how do you know when to release the criticism as opposed to respond to it? How do you know not to receive it, not to let it sink in to your spirit? Again, there's two things. First of all, when the criticism is unfounded or undeserved. When the criticism is unfounded or undeserved, you don't let that get in. You don't let that define who you are. You don't let that change your mind about who you are. I told you guys a few weeks ago, for those of you that are new, I won't go into all the detail of it, but uh, Kim and I had the privilege of serving in the Philippines through the 80s, and one of the most amazing experiences of my life to this day was, uh, was a village called Malalenta in Isabella, way up in the northern part of Luzon, a very remote part of the world at that point back in the early 80s. And, and we saw an entire village come to Christ uh, in, in a 10-day crusade. We water baptized 163 people in the Magat River. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Is all but three people in the village came to Christ, and one of those three was the village elder who actually threatened to kill us if we didn't leave. His wife, who came to Christ, protected us. She said, don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. You keep doing what you're doing. This village needs to know about Jesus. And so she protected us. And, uh, and we later learned that the reason the elder was so hard against us is because he was in charge of all the gambling and prostitution in the area. And he knew we were taking his customers away. We were taking his livelihood away. And thanks to the Lord, he eventually came to Christ and that village changed dramatically as a result of what God did, and not only that week but beyond. But his criticism of us and all the negative things that he said about our team that went in had nothing to do with who we were, and it certainly was not something that would cause us to change direction or to do things differently. It had to do what was going on inside of him. So sometimes... The criticism you're hearing has nothing to do with you. And if that's the case, you always listen. You're praying for discernment, and you, in this case, just release it. You don't respond to it. You don't. Even Jesus faced that. And he told his disciples what to do about it, how to handle it. Look at Matthew chapter 15. 
verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you've offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. In other words, release it. Don't even pay attention to their criticism. Let it go. They are blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. When you find yourself being criticized by somebody who doesn't have a clue nor doesn't want a clue, Jesus says don't let them define your life or your direction. Release it. Let it go. Give it to God. Many of you know the church that we planted in Chesapeake. We launched it. Uh, with a telemarketing campaign. We actually dialed the telephone 20,000 times in a four-week period, and, and we asked the question, are you currently active in a church in the area? And if we said yes, we said, God bless you. You're not who we're looking for, and would you pray for us while we start this new church? And, and if they said, no, we're not, they said, would you be interested in some information in the mail about a new church that's getting started? And, and uh, we want to help you connect to God. And, uh, and we put together a list of 1,905 families who told a total stranger over the phone, we're not active in church, but we'd like more information about a new church that's getting started. And 165 people showed up for the first service of what is now Community Church. We did a survey that morning, 90% of them said they did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ before that day. 25 years later, 60% of the members made their adult commitment to Christ at the church with 3,000 plus people coming. But there was one guy <laughs> that I called and, you know, just calling down the road and said, hi, this is who I am. You know, a new church getting started. Do a quick survey. Uh, are you currently active in a church in here? And he said, what church? I said, we're going to be Western Branch Community Church. We're in the Western Branch section of the city, and we're community church. He said, we don't need any more churches. Well... You know, I didn't know. I just got there. Just came from the Philippines straight to this place I'd never lived before. I didn't know anything about the area. So I just, you know, I took approach one with him, thinking if he, if he gets full information and perspective, then we'll be friends. I'm an idiot optimist like that sometimes. <laughs> so I tried to say, well, sir, there, there's probably 20,000 people around here that, that, uh, that don't know Christ, don't have a church family. And he said, yeah, but we ain't got them and you ain't going to get them either. Okay. <laughs> Hung up the phone, sat back, took the wind out of my cells for about three minutes. <clears throat> and I remembered these teachings from Jesus. He said, you know what? I will not allow a Pharisee to define my life. I will not allow a Pharisee to define what I'm going to give my one and only life to. I'm going to do my best to reach some people for Jesus. I realized he didn't want to know. So I had to ignore his criticism and move on. When you do, you care about the critic. You pray for the critic. You pray for opportunity to love the critic. But when it's unfounded, you release it. Got it? Some of you are carrying criticisms from the third grade playground uttered by a bully. And it's time to let it go. Some of you are carrying junk from an unpleasable parent that said you're never going to amount to anything. And it isn't true. You did. Let it go. It's unfounded. 
it's undeserved. The second circumstance in which you release criticism is when the critic has a bitter root of judgment, the Bible calls it. Understand, anybody can develop a critical spirit. I, you know, anybody, you know, I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. I, you know, I, yeah, gas costs too much these days. Or, you, know, I, I, you know, all the good men are taken. I heard that one several times over the years. There's nothing on TV anymore. There's, you know, this country's falling apart. You know, just, I think I'll eat some worms and die. I mean, anybody can get into a kind of a critical season and social media is a cesspool of bad news all the time. Can I get an amen? And so before you know it, you can get drawn into that. Christians, can I give you a word of warning? You are not helping the cause of Christ when you attack people on Facebook. Even if you're right, even if you're speaking truth, you are not advancing the kingdom of God. You get a private conversation with them, tell them the truth and the whole truth, nothing but the truth. On Facebook, that ain't the place to do it. That, just, that ain't the place to do it. But we can all get caught up in that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who have, who have been hurt so badly and have held on to bitterness for so long that there's a stronghold of bitterness that is formed. There's a root that goes deep that is formed that begins to define their view of life and every relationship. You recognize those people in, in social gatherings and in family gatherings when, uh, when, when some little thing happens and they blow up and you go, man, that's way out of proportion with what just happened. It's because there's a root down here that goes a lot deeper than what just happened. And that's why the Bible warns us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You understand that the way you react to someone with a bitter root may actually become a hindrance to them finding the grace of God. That's what the Hebrew writer said. But you've got to be careful Otherwise, you will begin to hold on to bitterness and you will have a bitter root too. And that ultimately causes trouble and defiles too. Kim and I took a team to the Philippines some time ago and on the way back, we uh, were on the flight and we're, you know, we had a great time. Just felt like the Lord did some really cool stuff, and we're celebrating and sitting in a group on the plane. And the flight attendant, fellow, probably in his fifties, came back to where we were, and he said, "What are you guys all so happy about?" And a member of the group that uh, we were leading said something about this mission trip. And you saw the look on his face change. I mean, just his whole countenance changed. And and he said, "Well, I, I, I the, the the third world doesn't want missionaries coming." The only thing missionaries do is change their culture and their heritage and their traditions, and third word people don't want you there. And the person that brought it up said, he's our leader, and pointed at me. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> and as he talked, I began to pray, Lord, help me hear what he's saying. I've been, Lord, give me discernment. Should I respond to this? Should I release this? Should I ignore it? And I finally just, after he kind of poured it all out, I finally just said, you know what? I have a feeling that it's not the third world people who are struggling with missions. Maybe it's you. And he turned around and walked away. And so we, we kind of leaned in as a group and prayed that he would be our attendant on the next leg of the flight so maybe we could minister to him. But we parted ways and he was on a different flight. I never got to see him again. But hear me, guys. The more effective you become at doing good things, 
whatever it is, understand you're going to become a target of some people because they got a better route. If you've got a good marriage and you celebrate that marriage, it's going to cause some people in hurting marriages to attack you. It's going to happen. If you're successful at work and you get promoted when others don't, there are going to be some people that will accuse you of all kinds of things because you got the promotion and they didn't get it. It's going to happen. You start handling your finances God's way, tithing and giving and, 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 and watching God operate in that. And then you begin to rise up in blessings because that's what he promised he would do when you do. Other people who aren't doing that, aren't willing to do that, are going to attack you. That's the reality. That's what happens. And if you don't learn to dismiss that, if you don't learn to release those things, that kind of criticism, you'll become distracted by it and ineffective. By the way, you do know the bridge is a cult, right? You know that, right? Again, you online, that was a joke. We're not a, but, you know, the more successful this church has become, the more we've become a target. Pastor Farrell told me about a lady. I haven't met her yet, so if you're here, I'd love to meet you. Uh, she, she was attending one of the churches in the area, and, uh, and she started coming to the bridge, and Pastor Farrell uh, asked her one day, said, uh, so what brought you to us? And she kind of smirked and said, well, you know, I, my pastor went after this church four Sundays in a row, just how the horrible things were going out. And I got so curious, I decided to come and see for myself, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> Some of you are haunted by words that were said many years ago, and it's time, I believe God sent me here to tell you, let it go, let it go. Release it to the Lord and let it go. Let him bring the healing. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what other people say. It only matters what Jesus knows. Because we live for an audience of one. That's what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 2, verse 4, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. So you always listen. While you're listening, you pray and discern. Is this one of those situations where I can provide some information and perspective and actually make a friend? Or is this a time where this is unfounded, undeserved, or it's coming from a bitter root and, and they don't want information? It's coming from who they are, not who you are or what you did or didn't do. You respond to the first, you release the second, but always, always, always live for an audience of one. His name is Jesus Christ. I like the way Pastor Andrew, our Mount Olive location lead pastor, said it this week. He said, criticism can develop me or devastate me. The only difference is how I process it. Only difference. Let's pray. Before we pray, your eyes are closed for just a minute, just a private moment. I I need to say that I realize that a lot of what I've said today is easier said than done. In fact, I would go so far as to say it's impossible in your natural abilities. 
fight or flight is what comes naturally. I think's the way I said it. And if that's true, then your first step in this journey of learning to handle the hypercritical people in your life is to make sure that you have a relationship with the one who loves you consistently, unconditionally, completely. His name is Jesus Christ. So if you're not absolutely sure that you have a relationship with him right now, please, I beg you, don't leave this room without establishing it. There'll be some people here in the altar after the service. They would love to pray with you this morning. But at the very least, would you pray a prayer with me? Just in the quietness of this moment, would you pray a prayer with me? Jesus, I, I'm going to need your help if I'm going to start dealing with criticism this way. Because fight or flight comes very naturally to me. And I don't think I can change that. So would you forgive me for doing it badly in the past? Would you give me a fresh start today? Would you come into my life and become the center of my life? And I thank you in advance for the way you're going to help me become the kind of person who has the strength and maturity to handle criticism the good and holy way. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying, you know what's going on. No doubt some people in this room or watching online consider themselves to be Christians before this moment, but they realize this is an area of their life that they haven't surrendered to you. I pray that each of us here and now would just open our hearts to you and to your word and let our lives be defined by your way, not the natural way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord. I do pray that as you deal with, with hypercritical people in your life, that you'll learn from the Word of God. Again, email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll send you these notes. Study them. Build them into your heart. Get the video. It'll be online uh, by Tuesday or so. Get the video. Study this thing. These, these are the kinds of things we deal with in practical reality day by day, week by week in our lives. Be, begin to learn how to do it God's way, and you'll find blessing in your life that you never dreamed possible. Next week, we'll continue the series talking about difficult people. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll bring some people with you and, and be a part of it, okay? Father, thank you that we have that privilege to come to the house of God to recognize your presence and your spirit and to learn things, practical things from your word that will help us to live the abundant life that you promised. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The ushers are at the door. Uh, would you drop your connect cards on your way out? If you prayed that prayer, I really want to know. Check a box. Give me a card. Let me know. We'll see you guys next Sunday.